it sounds like uh, maybe Jeff and I might be a little more kindred spirits. I, I didn't eat as many crayons as it sounds like he did. <laughs> I actually stuck the tip of one up in my nose that was broken off when I was a kid. Yikes. Took tweezers and a needle to get it out. It was a nightmare. Oh, my. <laughs> Welcome to the Art of Custom from Hibbs Homes. Sponsored by Pella Window and Doors and Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery. In this episode, Kim dives into the custom design process with Jeff Day from Jeff Day and Associates and Jamie Walker with Walker Home Designs. They discuss the importance of designing as a team and the many factors involved when planning your new home. The art of design is always one of my favorite topics, and that is what we're going to be focusing on in today's episode. As we get going, I really want to take time, though, to thank our sponsors, Ferguson Bath Kitchen and Lighting Gallery and Pella Windows and Doors. We're thrilled to have them participating in this year's broadcast. We're trying to help you understand the process behind building a custom home. We at Hibbs Homes have been building luxury custom homes in northern Utah and the St. Louis area for 17 years. We've never built the same home twice, and we're passionate about what we do. It truly is our purpose. But you know what? You can't build that dream home without a great design. And for that, we're going to turn to a couple of very talented architects. They're also friends of ours at Hibbs Homes. Jeff Day is with Jeff Day & Associates in the St. Louis area. His company focuses on commercial and residential design. And Jeff is really ahead of the curve when it comes to high performance, and some call them green homes. Also joining us is Jamie Walker from Walker Home Designs in the greater Salt Lake City area. One of Jamie's unique calling card, his whimsical home designs for families. Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Count on the experts at Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery to help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in together. Shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to discover stunning products from the comfort of your own home. Jeff and Jamie, thank you guys very much for joining us. Obviously, I've been looking forward to this because not only is design one of my favorite conversations, but I know both of you personally. Jeff, you've been on our podcast before. You bring a lot of energy. You bring a lot of fun to the show. So let's start by having you talk a little bit about how you got into the business. Very interesting background. And and tell us a little bit about Jeff Day and Associates. Growing up, I was always into art you know, drawing pictures and things. My mom said it was back when I was two, it was really the only thing that would shut me up was paper and crayons. (laughs) I really like working with my hands as well. So I spent some time as a carpenter, but after, you know, a few years of doing carpentry and whatnot, I shifted over to the architecture side, spent time doing the commercial projects, then switched over to residential, launched my company about 15 years ago, and uh, we just grew to 13 people. And one of the things I mentioned in the intro is that you're known for some pretty high-level, high-performance homes, or some people call them green, but that's that's kind of what you made a reputation on. Right, yeah. Back in uh, 2006, when we launched the company, that was kind of a rare breed in St. Louis. That's what brought us together. And that's what brought us together, that's right. And, uh, you know, since then, obviously, codes have evolved, and so a lot of that has caught up, and people are kind of obligated to the ways of the Jedi, if you will. But 
now uh, it's it's all the new technologies that we're trying to bring into uh, not only production but then use of a home as well. So that's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've done you know we did the active house, the first uh, active house in North America. We we've done a lot of really cool projects. Together. Oh yeah, no doubt, uh, a lot of fun. Jamie, I've gotten to know you over the past year or so. You've got some really killer designs going on in northern Utah, down in the Salt Lake area, also up in the mountains. You have a good team as well. Tell me more about Jamie Walker, how you got into the business, and tell us about Walker Home Designs. Uh, well, it sounds like uh, maybe Jeff and I might be a little more kindred spirits. I, I didn't eat as many crayons as it sounds like he <laughs> I actually stuck the tip of one up in my nose Ooh. that was broken off when I was a kid. Yikes. Took tweezers and a needle to get it out. It was a nightmare. Oh, my. <laughs> can you can you top that, Jamie? That's why they have OSHA out there now. <laughs> so I started drawing plans and just doing art when I was a kid. If you've ever seen the Netflix series Stranger Things, I was playing Dungeons & Dragons about the year that takes place. And kids would hire me to do their cool castle maps because i always included secret passages and things like that so we still do that in our homes today people get a kick out of that we do a lot of fun themed rooms a lot of them are designated to showcase make a wish in the salt lake parade of homes so we've done about 30 different themed rooms we call those walker fun spaces um, <laughs> i grew up building houses with my dad and my grandpa which my grandpa grew up in the great depression so i was kind of a penny pincher when I designed homes. I'd lay carpet on the weekends, do framing and roofing and finish work and stuff like that. So when I started designing plans, I just naturally started designing them around the materials we use in the industry. When we started our company in May of 2000, the market kind of slowed down in 2008. And I had builders coming to me telling me, you know, we hope you stay in business because your plans are bidding out Ten to thirty thousand dollars less than some of the other competitive firms out there. And when I asked why, they pointed out that because of my building background and use of space and materials more efficiently, that our plans were just costing less to build, which gave them the advantage. So we use that a lot. That's the reason that we've thoroughly enjoyed our relationship with you is because of that knowledge with materials. But I've got to say that's another reason that Jeff and I and our clients get along very well too is because Jeff has that same understanding and Jeff is also very in tuned with the value engineering that that needs to be done, especially when you've got extremely high construction prices right now. You've got to pull out all the tricks of the trade that you can when you're designing these homes to give the builder a fighting chance to bring the project in on budget. I would add to that, you know, having been on both sides of this coin, if you will, we detail things differently because we see how it should go together. Right. And so it makes our plans easier to understand in the field as well. So one of the first questions that I always get asked from people is, why do I need a builder involved with an architect? Why can't I go have the plans drawn? And I think it, it kind of goes to this conversation that we're having here, because if you're going to collaborate between the design and the cost, you do that as a team. But yet we still have people, Jamie, who insist on, I want to go to the competitive bid route, and I want to have the architect design the home himself. What do you say to a client who wants to go that route and help our listeners understand are there benefits to that or do you really want to go down the, the path of putting the team together? So I built my first personal home in 2004 and entered it in the Salt Lake Parade of Homes and it ended up winning the people's choice for its price category. 
And I remember trying to decide whether I build it on my own or partner with a builder. I decided to partner with a builder, but I wasn't sure which one because being on the board of directors with the Salt Lake Home Builders, you know, I work with dozens of different builders. So I decided to pick five that I really liked and I bid it out. And I quickly learned that there was a lot of things that I hadn't specified on the plans because the bids came back on a $400,000 house. Our bids came back from low bid to high bid, $100,000 difference. That's amazing. And I went to each builder and I said, wait, how do you come back with this many different bids? Well, I found out that one guy was busy and didn't need the job. So he bid it high. Then another guy was desperate, needed the work. So he bid it low. <laughs> and the other three came and said, well, you didn't tell us or if you're doing mowing or price fister or Kohler faucets. Are you doing uh, level three or level four granite countertops or Corian? Uh, what kind of carpet pad are you doing? Are you doing one-tone, two-tone, or three-tone paint? And there was all these details that I would say 90% of the people don't think about till after their plans are done. And so I had a builder convince me years ago. He said, you're better off putting your dream team together, getting the people you want in place, and having everybody know your budget so that they can guide you down this path without having a failure at the end. Because before I learned to do this, we would have probably one out of 20 clients would come back to us and say, yeah, we didn't build the house because when we bid it out, everything came 50,000 over budget. So by having the builder in the room as you're discussing budgets and things like that, you just end up with a better product. I kind of phrase it like me as the architect, I'm the client's teenage friend that wants them to have everything and sneak out at night and do all the fun <laughs> stuff. And your builders, mom and dad that flips on the light outside and that light comes on, you got to come home. And they're the ones that control that budget. Jeff's over there laughing. <laughs> he's he's really showing his age talking about the parents turning the light on. I, I think it's a, a text now, but <laughs> exactly. Where are you? When are you going to be home? Yeah. So Jeff, it, let's let's just start from the beginning. If you were going to, and I know you'd hire yourself or you'd hire Jamie if you were going to, but if you were going to hire an architect to design a home, how would you go about finding one, and what would the questions be that you would ask them? So you want to map out, you know, what do I want to accomplish? You know, do I want a particular style? Do I want a particular performance? And then ultimately, you really got to interview with people. My team, we're not the least expensive guys on the block, but we're not the most expensive. We found that compared to our competitors, we're kind of right in the middle. And so, you, you know, you want to make sure that your personality is going to mesh. I mean, in a lot of cases uh, around St. Louis, we've got design review boards where they're going to have a group of people in a city that look at the design and make sure it's acceptable for the community. You know, you want somebody that uh, with all those extra processes, you know, is going to be able to navigate that. But uh, just as importantly, your personality has to get along because it could be a three-month process if you do have all these extra steps in it, like design review and whatnot. And then from there, it's it's a matter of, like you were talking about, teaming up with your builder. What we found is there's so many people out there that they they see how expensive things are right now. You know, over the past three years, there's just been an incline in materials and the cost of building and whatnot. And everybody thinks that bidding it out is going to make it competitive. And that's it's really not the case. And, you know, speaking to St. Louis in particular, You've got a pretty small community for the home building society here. And 
the reality is Hibbs Homes likely uses subcontractors that everybody else in St. Louis is using. And so word will get out that you're bidding against three, four, five, like, you know, Jamie just mentioned five guys. That's insane. <laughs> but, uh, and so bringing the builder on in the front end uh, also has an impact on who the architect should be because there are some architects that don't really get along with particular builders and vice versa. So you want to make sure that you're walking through this process with a team spirit, right? Kind of uh, synergy that's going to pull this house to the end as something spectacular for you guys, you know, as clients. So Jamie, talk a little bit about how architects go about pricing their services and, and help our listeners understand that, you know, maybe some of the differences there to look for with architects and designers. Well, there's what I call like three different layers of people that can draw plans. And most people aren't aware of all of them. Kind of at the bottom of the food chain, you have a draftsman. And then somewhere in the middle, you might have a, a home design firm. And then at the top of the food chain, you've got a licensed AIA architect. People say, well, what are the differences? Well, usually an architect will price things out based on a client's budget. And it's usually anywhere from 5 to as high as 15% of that client's budget is what an architect could end up charging. Then you've got a home design firm, which is more what we are, that bases our prices off square footage. And it also is based off of scope. And if they work with us, we have kind of a pre-qualifying checklist of 24 questions. And based on how a client answers those and our personalities and what we find out when we meet them, we, we adjust that square foot cost as a bunch of different factors. It's kind of like the most crazy word problem you've ever done in school, maybe. But a lot of it has to do with personality because different people have different expectations. And then at the bottom end, your cheapest option could be a draftsman that does it on nights and weekends, but you're usually not going to get somebody who understands structure for that low end price. You're just going to get a shell of a floor plan. You're going to get kind of nickel and dime for engineering costs and stuff like that. Usually an architect or a home designer will include those costs. And where an architect might charge $50,000 for a set of plans, a home designer might be 30000 And then there's different levels of home designers, some that have construction experience and some that may not. And so I actually have a really cool, a couple different forms you can download on our website at walkerhomedesign.com that are questions to ask your architect. There's 27 questions on there. And there's also 24 questions to ask your builder and then I think there's 17 questions to ask before you build or remodel. And so people can go there, download those, and then become a little more educated on what they should be asking and then determine if those answers that they get from the people they're looking at hiring fit with what are important with them. Very interesting. And I would like to say, too, that this this podcast is heard coast to coast and prices do change. They do vary just like with construction costs, design costs going to be higher in certain parts of the country, lower in other parts of the country. Yeah. But the bottom line is you're, you're giving us some great advice, at least to, to what to be on the lookout for. Quick question, who owns the rights to the plans once they're completed? Does that vary at all, Jeff? It depends on how your contract's written. And, okay. and I'd like to add as well that state laws differ as well. So in yes. the state of Missouri, he mentioned a draftsman. By state law, they're only allowed in Missouri to design a 900 cubic foot building, a which is, house. yeah, it's 10 by 10 by nine feet tall, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be careful that 
you're not only finding someone that is operating legally, the way the law is actually written, it has to be created under the direct supervision of the individual putting their seal on it in the state of Missouri, if it's over 900 cubic feet. The other reality is liability insurance, right? So it muddies the water when you hire a drafts person and then they have some guy that, you know, out of the back of his van puts his seal on it. That's actually illegal. But I can share story after story after story of builders that have shared with me that a draftsman drew this, uh, some engineer who has a, a day job, put his seal on it for $500. And now they're in a lawsuit. One just happened where they undersized a beam and it, it sagged three inches, three mm. inches once the house was finished. And now they're in a, a four-way lawsuit. You know, you've got the homeowner, the builder, the engineer that slapped a seal on it, and now you've got the drafts person. And so so that's a, that's a pretty important factor as well. You know, this is what I always find puzzling. The biggest investment somebody is going to make, and yet they don't always do their due diligence to make sure they're finding the right partners, whether it is the architect or, or a design team. And I know that the three of us, and I know that builders across the country, architects, designers across the country, there's terrific ones out there. My advice is seek out the people who are really the professionals and do your homework and put the team together and, and start the design process together. So, so you say to pay attention to if you want the rights to the plans, make sure that's negotiated up front? Yeah, so by state law, that's in Missouri again. That This is intellectual property, mm-hmm. right? And so if you have a builder that wants to use it over and over and over again, then you need to work out some kind of shared copyright. But you need to understand that as an architect, we have to carry liability on every single one of those units being built from that set of plans. So there's there's a, a value associated with it, right? Okay. Not maybe not full freight, but some some form of reuse value. But our our contract has written that it is our intellectual property. And if they want to use it more than once or they want even a copy of the actual digital file of the software we drafted it in we have to sign a mutual release that indemnifies us from its next use. Yeah, so I, we own the rights to everything we draw. We have that in our contract, even if we pencil sketch something. But if we want to specifically give those rights to a builder or whatever, we, we document that. And then the structural engineer has a reuse that he charges if, they're, if a builder is going to reuse it. If it's a one-off custom home, we actually charge a premium if that client doesn't want us to advertise that or sell that, which we've done a few times. Along with copyright, though, I think this ought to be brought up, too, is in Utah years ago, there was uh, some kind of a legend or rumor or something that said you could take somebody's plan and change it. And this is fill in the blank, 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent. And it was all over the board. I'd have different builders come in with different numbers almost monthly and say, oh, yeah, this is a a plan from D.R. Horton. We're going to change it 20 percent and it's going to be our own. So I was curious about that. This was about 18 years ago when I first started out. And a few years later, I went down to the, the International Builders Show in Vegas and I took a few of their legal copyright classes down there and they had attorneys do presentations and they said anywhere in the U.S., you cannot derive your designs from another plan, no matter how much or how little it's a copyright infringement. And they specifically said the first ever lawsuit that was won by an architect 
was because of a builder stole their design on a bathroom, a master bathroom design. It wasn't even the rest of the house. So take a house and bump it out two feet on one side and call it your own. You may have a rough awakening. Potential clients come to us all the time with plans. They say, we like this, but we want to tweak the this, we want to tweak that, and then we're good to go. Where do you draw the line? What do you do? A couple of things. You know, there's the old saying, every poet is a thief, right? Which uh, <laughs> Bono from U2 wrote uh-huh. into a song. And the reality is there really aren't that many new ideas out there. There's just ideas that you haven't seen yet, right? And so it's difficult to really say that everything is genuinely new because a basic five by nine strip bathroom, how many ways can you lay that out? One, right? So, you know, the rule of thumb that that we have heard in St. Louis is make at least three or four major changes to the design. One major change might be a two-foot cantilever, depending on what that looks like. One might be the master bedroom gets moved to the other end of the house or, you know, any number of things that maybe put you in a position of having changed it. Because again, every poet is a thief. You're you're really just drawing on other ideas to create what is new or better for someone else. So having someone come to you with at least a floor plan, this is the the overall idea that we like, but we are okay changing it, is still a, a good way to get the process going? It's absolutely a good way. I tell all my clients that visual data is the absolute best way to communicate. So if you've got, now don't get me wrong, HGTV has really ruined my life because <laughs> now everybody thinks they're an architect. But if you can bring those ideas from HGTV or Pinterest or whatever, then that's the best way to communicate to me what you have in your mind, right? Or to get us close. All that said, the homeowner really needs to be open to new ideas. I mean, the reality is last year we we cranked out 225 projects out of my office. This year we have 93 contracts already this year. That's that's one a day, including weekends and holidays. <laughs> But there's a lot of new ideas in those, right? And so if I'm seeing 200 projects a year, there's a lot of ideas that work for other people that people just kind of should at least entertain, you mm-hmm. know, it, because it's going to help bring their house into a, you know, kind of a design that's right. custom to them. This podcast is sponsored by Pella Windows and Doors. Pella is the industry leader in innovation and style. Windows have become a key element in home design, and Pella has the product and professionals to guide you to your perfect solution. Pella is cutting edge in energy efficiency, durability, and performance. If you're tired of looking through screens, check out the Pella Integrated Roll Screen that you won't see until you need it. Pella offers the broadest selection of premium products to meet any budget and any design inspiration. Allow Pella to show you what they can do to improve the style and comfort of your home. With Pella's limited lifetime warranty, you won't have to worry about windows and doors again. Call 314-714-0100 to make an appointment or visit our showroom in Chesterfield Valley. Jamie, one of the things I really marvel at is if you look at your website, you have a terrific library of homes that you actually market and, and sell to people. What What is the benefit to maybe buying one of your homes, for example, and, and using it versus starting from scratch? 
Well, anytime you have a catalog of plans, you know, a lot of those get built and you can have more photographs and examples of it. People have trouble visualizing generally. So the more pictures and concepts you can show them, the more that it sells itself. I mean, that's generally why builders build a model home. I worked for a production builder for about seven years in the 90s, and they had 40 plans in a catalog, and they built five or six models. And those five or six models were built 85% of the time, even though they had 35 other plans in their catalog. So it's great that we have Pinterest and House to share with people and give them ideas. That's definitely where where you can flesh through what people are trying to say. People come up to me and say, oh, I want this French country house. And then they show me a picture of it and it's Mediterranean. <laughs> and so I, I always tell them, just show me pictures off Pinterest and house so I know exactly what's in your brain and let's not worry what we're calling it. That way I know exactly what, what it is you want to achieve with that. But do you recommend starting with plans that can be purchased online? If people can find a plan online, that meets, you know, 85, 90% of what they're looking for, then that's, that could be a good option. Again, we've had some people that don't want to make a lot of changes, but they want us to have it engineered and they want us to value engineer it. And it's going to take a few changes anyway. It's, it's usually pretty good to find a plan that's already done. If you're going to do a whole lot of changes, sometimes it makes sense just to start over and get it exactly how you want it. How popular are the homes that you have available in your library? We do, you know, 250 homes a year around the country. A lot of them are custom, but a lot of them, you know, I would say our number one client takes a kitchen off one of our plans, a master bedroom off a totally different plan, and a basement configuration off a third plan. And then they show me a picture on Pinterest and say, can you make it look like this? And so with that many changes, we'll end up doing custom stuff. But a lot of times we'll get builders that come in and say, we want your best-selling 70-foot wide, 3,000-square-foot two-story with a master on the main. And so we'll have eight different exterior styles for any given plan of ours, whether it's modern French country, modern farmhouse, you name it. Jeff, I know that uh, you were shaking your head when Jamie was talking about borrowing bathrooms and kitchens and master bedrooms from different floor plans. One of the things, though, that if you have someone who's listening to this that's considering about buying a plan online, they have to be aware that sometimes the plans don't have basements. Sometimes they have crawl spaces. Sometimes, most of the time, they aren't engineered. They don't meet local codes. So if you're going to go that route, you do have to be very careful. Yeah, the the reality is I haven't seen one yet that is detailed the way we would build it in St. Louis. You know, commonly they're drawn with concrete block foundations and things like that. We just don't build that way is is exactly how they should do it, especially if they want the house to be custom. Again, the word custom is all about your customs, you know, the way you live. And so if you want it to truly be a custom home, then you need to pull the ideas on how you think you would live in that house. Jamie, I know you have some really cool plans that we are going to make sure we include a link on our show notes. So for anybody listening, Jeff, of course, will have your contact information as well. Let's turn the page. Let's start talking about some fun stuff. House, the look, the the feel of this house. Jamie, what's popular in northern Utah? Everybody's painting stuff white. There's a kind of a difference between the European version of it and the modern farmhouse, and it's mostly about overhangs and roof pitch that kind of separate those. Then we've got a lot of just straight modern that's kind of revamped. And then the last five years, prairie style 
from Frank Lloyd Wright has kind of resurfaced. And so if they're done right, and this is all about the details, any of these can be done so they look timeless. I think it's when production builders start to cut corners is when it starts getting dated and doesn't look timeless. And so roof overhangs, roof pitch, materials, soffit detailing, post detailing, even the interior finishes, all of that can play into it. All of those detailings need to be researched and done if somebody's trying to achieve a timeless look, because we do get a lot of clients that say, well, 15 years ago, everybody was doing brown stucco in Utah and calling it French country. And now I don't want to do it anymore, but those can still look good if they're done right. Same thing with craftsmen. That that one's been popular the last decade, though, but it's starting to fade out a little bit more. Prairie style and modern farmhouse are probably the biggest popular ones the last year or so. Craftsman has uh, kind of been a staple in St. Louis. And and what I've seen is because of that, they have become affordable to build, right? You've got mass production of the components and, and things that would go into it, different divided lights on the windows and things that are easily accessible from different suppliers or brackets or the columns and things like that. And so that's been a real popular one as a staple for probably 25 years, I'd say. But the, you know, the modern farmhouse is is certainly one that is all over St. Louis. I think the issue with modern farmhouse and uh, what's going to uh, shorten its shelf life is that no one's doing anything new with it, right? We have people come to us wanting one, and then we try to push them into new ideas that are just kind of infused into that style. But the reality is I worked on farms when I was a kid every summer in Iowa, and I've never, ever seen a house that looks like these on any of those farms. So just as a side note, <laughs> you know, most of the farmhouses you're seeing are, are typically Georgian kind of homes with siding on them or salt box homes and not what you're seeing everybody call modern farmhouse. But what I like about St. Louis is that now, after long last, the truly attractive modern homes, you know, the truly modern, classic-looking, soaring roof lines and, and things like that are are now taking a stand in St. Louis. People are, are really trying to make a different home, and they know that this style isn't prominent in St. Louis. So we're getting a lot more opportunity to take those kinds of projects on, which is fun. So as a custom home builder, I get it. I think they look awesome, but I also know that somebody building on a budget, when you start talking about soaring roof lines or or some of these fine details and cut-up foundations, things that make the homes unique, those also drive construction costs. So I would assume, you know, Jamie, we have to be somewhat careful about that. And again, it comes down to what is the budget up front, know what that budget is, and then design to it. Yeah. So there's trade-offs you make, right? So you decide on a weekend, am I going to take my wife out to Ruth's Chris and pay two or 300 bucks for dinner? Or are we just going to stop by McDonald's and pay five bucks for dinner? Right? So this is your custom house. Are you going to treat it like a, maybe a once or twice a year dinner, or are you going to treat it like a everyday thing? And so the easiest way to swap cost is to trade quality for footage. As we talk about, you know, helping a client figure out a budget, we start with square footage. And then we look at the local cost per foot that's kind of a range to start down a path. 
And in our questionnaire that we have clients answer before we even decide if we're a good fit, we ask those types of questions. And sometimes we flesh those out with things like, what kind of cars do you own? Where, where do you shop? Where do you go out to dinner? And when people start answering those questions, then we know what kind of quality level they're going to want in their home. You got to ask some of those questions to know where they're going to be at the end of the day. And that helps adjust the square footage so they stay budget. Interesting. Very interesting. Jeff, I want to back you up just briefly to talk about sustainability just for a moment, because you're right. The codes have leveled that playing field. So how does that affect builders' work, your work, and homeowner expectations for that high-performing home? One of the things that uh, nobody wants to think about anymore <laughs> is is solar orientation, right? If you're going to eat dinner, you don't want to do that in a west-facing room, for example. You know, those kinds of things are what people aren't thinking about. And, and these things can be accomplished even on narrow infill lots, right? Something 50 feet wide, which is very common in most of the neighborhoods around St. Louis. You can think through, we did this very thing on the active house, mm-hmm. right? We thought through how they're going to live in this house hour after hour, day after day, and we situated the rooms accordingly, or we situated the windows on the wall accordingly. And, you know, my team is working about 98% now in a software called Revit. It's a 3D drafting software. We model your house and we can tell you with GPS coordinates what the sun's going to be doing at high noon on your birthday in whatever room you think you're going to sit in on your birthday. And, And so... These kinds of technologies, I think, are going to be important because when you're not thinking about solar orientation, you're causing undue heat loss or heat gain that is going to cost you money in the end. And I think that's one of the most important aspects. But staying on top of, as builder or architect, staying on top of all the new technologies that are coming out are going to be important as well. And you hit the nail on the head there, too, when you're talking about the experience of the designer or the architect or the builder. That's why you want to make sure they're using the latest technology. On that same level of sun orientation and Revit, we also love to use Revit. And knowing about the materials that are out there, one of the other questions we ask clients is, what do you want to use as your main wall material? And we have two by four, two by six, which... Most people are used to hearing, but there's also other materials out there like SIPS panels, ICF blocks, and a new product uh, that is 2x4 and 2x6 steel studs wrapped in EPS foam, which give you an R value of 25 on a 2x4 wall and R36 on a 2x6 wall, and they're pre-manufactured wall panel systems, and you don't have to have special engineering for them. And so understanding and knowing that there are other things out there is critical in a market where the build costs are skyrocketing and knowing that, hey, my builder can understand how to frame different materials and give me a better value since these wall panels are actually costing less than wood framing right now. Yeah, that very good point. And just to kind of clean this up a little bit, SIPS stands for Structural Insulated Panels. ICF stands for Insulated Concrete Forms. All various ways to build a home with different materials, very high performing, very efficient. And I'm really glad you brought that up. So uh, thank you for that, Jamie. So now as we wrap things up, what are the must-have? Give me two or three must-haves in the homes when you're designing them. 
right now people are demanding bigger pantries or a scullery kind of an area where it's like a working kitchen but people use their kitchens and great rooms for entertaining a lot and so these pantries are a place that can stay dirty but they have counter space you can put all your appliances back there maybe a second dishwasher and sink and a an oversized freezer and that keeps the kitchen area a little more cleared out two other ones might be walk-in showers in the master and replacing tubs even though a lot of people are liking the artistry of a freestanding tub i would say there's a, a whole nother group of people that are completely getting rid of the tub in the master bathroom on multi-million dollar homes and doing a, a steam shower almost like a sauna luxury you know spa resort kind of a shower system and then the third item is using space under the garage with a suspended slab product where you can park your cars on and then use underneath for storage or an exercise room or a stadium type theater that's fully encased and uh, engineered and it's relatively inexpensive, just like basement square footage costs. So those are probably my top three of things that people are are must-having these days. Yeah, you know, in St. Louis, we've got some similarities here. We call it a dirty kitchen. It, it actually came about back in, uh, for me, 2008, I was designing a house and the client asked for a dirty kitchen. I had no idea if it, you know, was it religious thing? <laughs> what is this, you know? And is it a dancing pole or something in there? <laughs> yeah, or? Maybe. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a place where now our clients are, you know, it might be an eight by eight or even a narrower, but you know, everybody wants the big KitchenAid mixer that they're probably never going to use. And then they want you know, their coffee maker sitting out. They want their toaster sitting out, but they don't want it seen. And so that's, that is a big trend here as well. And you, you couple that kind of built out with cabinetry for food storage. The other, I would say three other things that we're seeing is people want a big shower for sure, but they don't want the freestanding tub. They're looking for these wet rooms that consolidate the space. So the foot space in front of a tub is now really just shower. So you're taking a shower with a tub next to you. Gives you much more room in the shower, but you can also sit in there, obviously, and, and take a bath. We're seeing people go away from vaulted ceilings. They're stepping into hmm. 12 and 14 foot flat ceilings, uh, typically coffered, or a lot of people call them beamed ceilings, where you've got the beams going both direction, mm -hmm. creating the coffers. But I think the biggest shift in the last year that we've seen, and it's, I'm sure, due to COVID-19 and people spending more time in their house, I won't say stuck in their house, but spending more time in their house, people want killer backyard spaces. They want covered patios. They want fire pits, fireplaces, pizza ovens, built-in barbecue kitchens, a place to sit out there and watch, you know, sports or smoke a cigar. They're incorporating things like the executive screen that I know you and I've used from Broadview, uh, mm -hmm. where you just hit a button and these things come down like a garage door if there's bugs out. So it's pretty telling that there's been this shift for us anyway and in, in the projects we do right. due to that. And and home offices for that matter. We're doing a lot more killer home offices with crazy built bookcases with librarian ladders and all these kinds of things and, and a lot of hidden 
hidden bookshelf doors that lead into the master suite. And now everybody realizes why I say this is my favorite conversation. It's about the design. Yeah. Jeff Day, Jeff Day and Associates, and Jamie Walker with Walker Home Designs. Guys, thank you. Seriously, thank you very much. Great conversation, some good information. We will make sure we put all of your contact information in our show notes. Again, thank you both for joining us on the Art of Custom podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Jamie, great to meet you. You too. I hope we cross paths again. Okay, so far this season, we've met a couple of awesome custom home builders from across the country in Jason and Brenda. We've helped you find the right lot with Jan and Jana. And now you've learned about the design process with Jeff and Jamie. Coming up in our next episode, we're going to focus on the budget and finding the right lending partner. Those are two very important components of the custom home building process. By the way, if you're interested in downloading our Dream Home Design Worksheet, we're also going to have that for you in show notes. A really cool download that kind of helps get the juices flowing when you're thinking about building a custom home. Lots of great information, so take time to visit the show notes and download the Dream Home Design Worksheet. Also, if you ever have any questions that you want answered, feel free to reach out to us. Our phone number is 314-266-9709. That's 314-266-9709. And thanks again to Pella and Ferguson for supporting The Art of Custom. We look forward to having you join us again on our next episode. For more information, visit www.artofcustompodcast.com or find us on Facebook as The Art of Custom and on Twitter at Art of Custom Pod. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to get the latest episodes, and please rate and review to help us grow. The Art of Custom is produced by Hug Monster Sound with original music by Adam Frick-Ferdine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.